Welcome to our podcast here at Encounter Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We pray that as you listen to this message, you will not only be challenged, but changed. Our desire is to be a place where life starts, love happens, and purpose is revealed. If you're in our area, join us on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. and every first Wednesday at 6.45 p.m. For more information about our church, you can visit us at EncounterChurch.today or follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Periscope. Just search eChurchBR. We invite you now to open your hearts to receive what God has for you. Here's today's message. Love my Uncle Robert. Married 44 years, four kids, three grandkids. And just a blessed, he's a pastor on staff in Virginia Beach, and, and just we're so blessed to have him here. But we're, we're going to share some thoughts, or he is going to share some thoughts today, and I'm just going to interview him and ask some questions. And, and I really believe this is going to be very encouraging for you, because the whole thought of this time is, how do we deal with the pressures of family and faith? Because there's a challenge to raising kids. There's a challenge to having families. And so how do we keep the faith? through the struggles and through the pressures. So we're just going to open up with a word of prayer. And then quickly, I'm going to ask him just to recap the nine o'clock service, because that was a great message. If you missed that, that was fantastic. And, and then we're just going to go into this. But put your hand on your heart. We're going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the privilege that we have to be in your house. God, we ask God right now that these words that Robert would say, God, our discussion today, God, that it would be life to so many. It would be hope to so many. It would bring freedom to so many because I thank you, God, just because we have struggles and problems doesn't mean we're bad parents. It just means that the enemy is out to destroy families. But God, we thank you that greater is he that is within us than he that's in the world. And we will be victorious. We will not lose hope. We will not lose faith, but we'll hold on to hope. We love you. We praise you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. If you would, Robert, just share just a few moments what we talked about in the nine o'clock service. How are you all doing? How many were not here at the 9 o'clock service? Well, I'll give a recap for you three people. And uh, I'm only kidding. <laughs> but then we talked about building an ark. Hebrews 11 and 7. Noah, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, built an ark to save his family. And we're, this is family weekend. So we talked about building to save your family. Because you've got to know the devil is out to destroy your family. No doubt about it. Just from the beginning of time, from Genesis in the Garden of Eden, he destroyed the first family. One brother killed his, uh, the other brother. And right from the beginning of time and all through history, through, through, through different things, and um, you know, like Hitler and abortion and drugs, everything, the devil's been out to destroy families. But the good news is we know for sure if the devil is out to destroy your family, God is out to preserve your family. God is out to save your family. And we should never give up. You should never, ever, ever give up. God is out to save your family. It doesn't matter how hard they are. And I just talked about the planks of faith, the planks of building an ark. How do we build an ark? We build an ark one plank at a time. You know, when Noah was told to build an ark, he didn't even know what an ark was. He didn't see water. But he built it in faith. And sometimes you've got to speak in faith even though you don't see it. You know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? And I, I was sitting thinking about that one day. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a faith statement. Yeah, yeah. But listen to this. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord is a completed statement. Wow. So I want to get 
from us, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, to us, for me and my house, we serve the Lord. And I want you to get there. And that's how we build an ark. We build an ark a plank at a time, a plank of prayer. And I told them prayer is not prayer is is not the only thing we do, but it's the first thing we do. Prayer, prayer, plank of prayer, the, the the plank of faith, never giving up. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The the plank of perseverance, never, never, never give up. I, I told you, I, I was telling the people Nelson Mandela, who who was years in prison. He said a visionary is a dreamer. Or a winner, rather. A winner is a dreamer who just never gave up. And that's, look, you get dreams for your families. You get dreams for your, for your families and your kids. Never give up. Because that dream will come become a vision. And that vision will become a win. Amen? And through the plank of perseverance, never give up. The plank of, the plank of and finally, uh, the plank of hope. The plank of hope. We have a hope. Hope has a name. Are you with me? When all is against us, we have a hope that what God said, he will do. And all through the Bible, there's a theme, as for you and your house, as for you and your house, Rahab and all her house, Cornelius and all his house, the Philippian jailer and all his house, oh, the Philippian jailer, sorry, that's a joke, the, Philipp- the Philippian jailer and all his house, and, and Zacchaeus and all his house were saved. Because God has a theme. He's a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a family God. Me and my house. As for me and my house. Come on, me and my house. Me and my house. And he's he's a family God. In the Old Testament, he dealt with 12 tribes. Tribes is another name for clan. In fact, the Hebrew word is clan, which is a Scottish word for family. 12 families, a lot of Old Testament talks about the 12 families because God is a family God. God is, he said, for God to love the world, he said it, that nobody should perish. Your son, your daughter, your nephew, your niece, your uncle, your aunt, your, your cousins, no one should perish. So we're going to trust God and we're going to build an ark. Any ark builders here today? Good. Now, on this session, we're going to talk a little bit about my family and what happened to my family and how we're still here. Well, let's, let's bring them up to kind of speed with people. A lot of them know you through being here and a, a relation of mine. But let's, let's go back a little bit further. What actually in the beginning brought you to the States? When was that? How did that look like? Robert? Yeah, it's funny too, because when I was 11, which is many, many moons ago, uh, we had an exchange teacher in our school from America, from Pennsylvania. And I just remember 11 years old, and she had these books about the Empire State Building and the big old American cars, and my cars were big, back in the 60s. And, and uh, you know, I just remember dreaming, yet never, ever thinking I'd live in America one day, because we, we lived in a one-horse town in Scotland. And, but, but I just remember that America, and I had a, a heart for it. And then we, we, started, to write, we started to write songs in, in, in the church, and I was a songwriter, and uh, all of a sudden, God made a way. He made a way for the family to come to America in 1966. I came in 1967, although we never moved to America until 83. But we came, we started singing all over America and singing the songs God gave us. And it was songs of praise and worship, songs that would set people free. And we, uh, Philip Pastor remembers that as well. Just amazing what God was doing. Here was a bunch of country bumpkins. Being full of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of God, singing songs, and people were getting liberated and set free, and we just traveled and traveled and traveled and, and traveled and traveled and traveled. I had a tartan jacket, a, a, one of those, like a dinner jacket, you know, with a, a, a black, black collar with a Cameron plaid, 
And I was so sick of wearing that jacket. When I, would, when I would go home to the hotel at night, I would just trail it on the ground. I'd hold the sleeve. I said, come on. Maybe it'll get ripped tonight. <laughs> but I still have it. I still have it in my wardrobe. doesn't fit him, though. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> so how was it, how was it acclimatizing, you know, just to, like you say, for a small town coming over here? What were some of the challenges that you faced in coming to the U.S.? Well, the challenge was I was a small thinker. When you come from a small place, you're a small thinker. And sometimes you can't handle the big things. And I had to learn to grow because, you know, you learn to be bigger because God wants us to be big. He's a big God. You look at the ocean, he's a big God. You look at Texas, he's a big God. Anybody? I love Texas. But so just God started to open up our hearts and, and, and just allow us to get bigger and bigger all the time to see what God was doing in us in a bigger setting. Because we were used to a church of 150 people, and yet here we are. We're not ch- we were at one time singing to like 6,000 people back in 66, which was huge to us. And uh, I remember in, in, uh, in one auditorium, there was Catherine Kuhlman. In the other auditorium, there was the Cameron family singing. And I mean, I, it just blew me away. But you, you grew, and you just know. But it's the thing. I always knew God had called me to the ministry. And when you know that, you just kind of go with it. And whatever happens, you know, when he opens the door, walk in. If he doesn't open the door, stay out. Never kick a door down you don't have a key for. So, so traveling around, but then you finally made it to Virginia Beach. Talk to us about that. Well, that was funny because I was in Arizona with my dad and the family singing and doing a prison worship at a conference there. And I met the pastor of this uh, a church in Virginia Beach. And he said to me, man, we've been looking for you guys for years. Why don't you come to Virginia Beach and I'll set up a week's meetings for you and make it worth your while. And I'll never forget. Because we had been in Virginia Beach in the early days. But this was like in the, the 80s we met this pastor. Well, the, the early 81. And I remember taking his card and sticking it in my pocket and thinking, yes, when California falls into the water, I'll come to Virginia. <laughs> but you know how God has a sense of humor. Never say never, because God will say, well, let's have a look and see, you know. <laughs> so long story short, and, and uh, we, we ended up in 81 coming to, I had a month of November open, and I'll never forget, I was in Alabama sitting in another cousin's office and trying to book some meetings, and we had never any problem booking meetings. Our problem was, where do you want to go? And uh, I, I was stumped. I had a month of November open in 81, and I could not get one Sunday booked. And I'm really stumped. Because that never was a problem. And then I remembered about the guy with the afro. He's a white guy with an afro. Go figure. You know, you remember that. You know? And by the way, I used to have an afro as well when I, <laughs> in the 80s when I'd hear. So I remember, what about Wally? So anyway, I got a hold of his card because evangelists never lose cards of pastors. You always remember the pastor's cards. So I took out his card and I called him from Alabama and I said, Wally, this is Robert Cameron. He said, man, I've been waiting for you to call. I said, well, look, I, I have the whole month of November open. He said, leave it to me. I'll fill, I'll fill it in for you, and you'll come with me for a week. And that's how we ended in Virginia Beach. And I'll never forget, I'm sitting to Margaret and my wife, uh, uh, when we entered in Virginia, Virginia, I said, Margaret, this is where God wants us. I, I just know something said to me just now. I come in from Maryland, and we came across the, into Virginia, and I said, this is where God wants us. And, of course, the rest is history. Now, with you traveling, obviously, a lot yeah. all over East Coast to West Coast, what was Margaret and your family doing at that time? Well, they were, 
they were involved in the church. And, you know, that's, evangelist life is a tough life. Because I had, at that time, I had two kids, two twins, by the way, twins, a boy and a girl. They're 40 now. And uh, so I was, I was gone every weekend, except two weekends. And that was the weekends I was speaking, speaking for the church that we were in in Virginia Beach. But I was gone every weekend and sometimes away for three weeks. But there's one thing. My wife never complained about me being gone. Now listen to some of you women. Listen to this now. Because the reason being, she knew I had a calling in my life. I wasn't away dilly-dallying. I wasn't away just globe-trapping, globe-trekking. Globe I, was, I was doing the kingdom work. And my wife never complained. And, you know, when I look back, there's sometimes I used to fly out on a Saturday morning, and, and I could have stayed till Saturday night and flown out and been at my kids' games. I regretted that a little bit. But the truth is, God knew that as well. And, uh, but all through that time, my wife, my, my wife, she was involved in the church. The kids were involved in the church. And, uh, but she never complained about me traveling, doing the kingdom work. Now, one of your kids, David, um, yeah. came into hard times, a difficult time. Yeah. Just talk a little bit about what that looked like. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, pastors are not immune from the world. I have four children. I have twins and a boy and a girl who are 40. I have David, who's 36, and my daughter, Stephanie, who's 34. And uh, so what happened? All of a sudden, we, we, we were involved with David doing drugs. And unbeknownst to me, he'd been taking them since he was 14. Now, this is a family that's been brought up in a great church, not a legalistic church, not a dead church, an amazing church. And here is the, one of the pastor's kids going haywire. And not only him, it was two of my boys, but he was, the, he was the main character. And, man, I'll tell you, it brought us to tears. It, it brought us to our knees. And for 10 years, he was doing drugs. And it just put a lot of tension in our marriage. There's not, there's not a whole lot you can do about it, you know? How, how were you handling it, going through all of this with David, you know? Yeah. How serious was it getting? Well, it was getting real serious. I came home one day at lunchtime. I never come home at lunchtime. Margaret's working by this time, and I come home, and there's a guy in my house taking a big, the old Sony Wega TVs, the weight a ton, taking it out of my house and put it in his car. I said, what are you doing? He says, David said I could use this. I says, that's not David's TV. And what he'd done, David had a bedroom upstairs. He'd knocked that TV down the stairs. It was all bashed. I said, get that back in there. And, uh, you know, that's called righteous indignation, you know. <laughs> it says, be angry and sin not. It doesn't say not be angry. And I was angry. I was, I was, I was, I was really angry. I said, and, and I, I told him, I said, I know what you're here for. I know what you're doing. I said, if I see your face back in this house, I'll call the cops. Never seen him again. But that's how it started, how desperate things got. He was hanging with a crowd that one night I said to my wife, I said, Margaret, they're going to kill us. If we don't do something about this, they're going to kill us. I mean, I had a, a $10,000 guitar that somebody gave me, a collector's item, that disappeared. And he probably sold it for 200 bucks. And just things began to go missing, you know. And it got very, very serious. You know. Now, it escalated to the fact that David ended up being in a teen challenge program. Yeah. Talk about that. We, we, uh, so we, we, got a, we got him in a teen challenge. And, uh, but, you know, you, can't, you don't have to stay in teen challenge. If you don't want to be there, you, they won't keep you. So we paid lots of money, got him down to teen challenge. He, he stayed there a month. And then after a month, he just wouldn't, didn't want to stay anymore. So we took a way down. It's about a six-hour drive from our house. We had to pick him up. And even in that month... 
I could see the slight difference uh, how he was how he was behaving, what had happened, you know. And uh, in that month, he was telling me one night he was in his bed and he saw a dark shadow come to the end of his bed and said, "I'm going to get you." And he started to pray himself. I'm glad to say the dark shadow never got him, but but that was he saw he went through that, and uh, this is true. I picked him up in the morning, and I drove him back. And by the time he hit the city of Virginia Beach, the drug guy was calling David for drugs. Somehow they knew. And so it escalated. So anyway, I got to the point. I said to my wife, honey, I says, I'm, I can't do this anymore. Now, this is, this is what you'll have to remember. If you make a big decision in your marriage, you've got to be in agreement with your wife, your spouse. And I said to my wife, I can't do this anymore. Something's going to break. Something's got to give. And I told them, I said, look, Margaret, if he steals one more thing from me, I am going to put him in, the, I'm going to shop him into prison myself. Because I'm not going to live in fear. Now, I'm going to let you understand, this boy wasn't a bad boy. This guy's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Him and his brother. And, I mean, if you met them, you'd say, they're not on drugs. They're they're lovely guys, but he, he wasn't like that. He was just on drugs and, and stealing to pay for drugs. So I said to my wife, I said, look, I'm gonna, you've got to be in agreement with me. If he steals one more thing, I'm going to take him in to the police. Well, I came back. I came into the house one week, the week later, and my strimmer, my edge strimmer, what do you call them here? Weed eaters. Weed eaters. Weed eaters. Whippersnappers. And... Uh, <laughs> It was missing because I kept it in the same place. You know, I'm, I'm like ACD. I keep everything ADD. <laughs> so ACDC. <laughs> I flew it either way. So anyway, it was missing. And I said, and this guy's six foot three, by the way. I said, David, where's my weed eater? He said, I said, don't go. I said, get in the car. I'm taking you down to the police station. And that was a hard thing to do. And uh, I'll never forget, he, he didn't argue with me. His mother was there. We jumped in the car, took him down to the police station. They interviewed him. The guy came through and interviewed us. And, he, and the guy said to me, the policeman, he said, I don't know why that boy's in trouble. That's one of the nicest boys I've ever met. And uh, so he said, I'll pick you up. It was a Thursday. I'll pick you up on a Tuesday, and you'll, we'll sign you into jail. And when they picked him up, you know, you always, when they pick you up, they, pick, they put you in handcuffs. But the, the sheriff picked him up and said, I've never mind a handcuff. Just sit in the car. And he, he was put to jail for a year and a half. And uh, it wasn't an easy thing at all, you know. Now, talk about that. Obviously, you talked about you and Margaret being on the same page and communicating and how important that was. But I'm sure during that year and a half, there was probably times where there was a tendency that Margaret would look at you or you look at her and say, did we do the right thing? How did you make sure that the two of you kept on the same page and supported each other through that? Yeah, because we kept talking. Because the word is, I never thought I did wrong, I knew I had to do what I had to do as a father and a husband and, and, the, and the, the head of my home. But there's days that Margaret would say, maybe we shouldn't have done that. And I would catch her and nip it in the bud in a nice way. You know what I'm saying? We're talking about heartling people here. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, we never spoke like that. We said, honey, we agreed on this. And that's how we're going to do it. It's done now. So we agreed on it. So we can't re- retrace those steps. I believe we did the right thing. You know, so this is what happened. However, when he was in jail, because we're still British citizens, we've got green cards. We're the we're the infamous green card people, 
and uh, I've had it for 35 years. And uh, he was a green card holder, and the, the ICE, or the immigration, uh, the Homeland Security had a sweep through the jail, and anybody who was in jail that was not American citizen was deported. And so he was in line. They, they, they picked him out, and he was going to be deported. And that was that night we'll never forget. So we paid thousands of dollars to go to lawyers and, and to see if we could get him off of being deported. And the final judgment was, we could have saved our money, to tell you the truth, because they were going to deport him no matter what. Now, that was a game changer. That broke our hearts. And, it, you know, it just, it just hit us. They're not going to keep him here, and he's not going to get back. So he they shipped him home to Scotland, and he's still in Scotland. And uh, now, and so, I mean, it, it broke our hearts. We did all we could, though. We did all we could to get him here, but in the end of the day, the judge said, home. Now, year and a half, long time, the process of all of this, still being a pastor, mm. still being on staff, sitting on the front row yeah. of a church, how was it sitting on the front row of the church, preaching, teaching, yeah. but yet your heart was destroyed, your family? I mean, just talk yeah. through the process of what happens on the front row in a pastor's yeah. heart. So here I am, Mark and I, sitting in the front row of a large church, and my boy deported. Well, he was in jail at that time, and, and I mean, you feel like a worm. The devil comes in and he says, you're no good parents, and this is, what you're, this is your offspring. And, and, you know, how can you preach to other people when your boy's in jail? And how can you do this? And how can you do that? And you put him in jail. That's how he come to me. You put him in jail. And I'd get a guilt trip for a, for a, for a while, and then I'd say, well, you know. And the, but I determined the devil's a liar. I did everything I could do, and I love my boy. And I love my family, and I did everything we could do. I just told the devil, look, I'll preach better. I'll sing better. I sang back in those days. I'll I'll witness better. I'll be more involved in the church. You will not have dominion over me or my family. But it was hard. I mean, he was sitting there, you know. And one of the hardest things was every Saturday morning for a year and a half, my wife and I would go down to jail to, to meet him, to see him. But you never saw him physically. You saw him on a monitor. So for a year and a half, we never saw him. We just saw him on a monitor, and you know, you went down to the jail, and you're sitting with people in jail. It's not my kind of people. You understand what I'm saying? It, it, they're not, there are people supposed to be in jail, and there's people not supposed to be in jail, and I, if you know what I mean. And I would sit there I, every Saturday morning. That was our, that was our breakfast treat. Go, go and have breakfast and visit your son in jail. But we did it, and we never lost faith. You know why? Because God is bigger than all your problems. And I, I knew God had his hand upon David and my family. We, we believe that. As for you, as for me and my house, I used to quote that all the time. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, obviously, when you say you have to get the victory over that, just talk through the thought of that because I know a lot of people think that when you get the victory, you never struggle with those things again. But just because you say, God, I'm going to preach better, I'm going to sing better, the devil comes back, yeah. and the devil comes back. So yeah. how, how did you deal with that, just that continuous bombardment? Well, you just had to be ready for it, because it would hit you every day. It's like Paul says, I die daily. And it would come back every day. You know, Dave, I mean, how could you forget it? Your son's in jail, or your son's in Scotland, deported, you can't get back. And, you know, the, the, and every day, and I would just have to get up and say, devil, 
You'll never get my boy. You'll never get my boy. You'll never get my boy. He was dedicated when he was a baby. He was dedicated to the Lord. And you may think you have him just now, but think again, because God will have the final word. You know? But you have, but you have to push through. I mean, it's so, I'm making it sound easy. It's not easy. Emotions are running high. I mean, your heart's breaking. Your heart's breaking because you love your boy. But how can you give up? You can't give up. You've got to say, God, I'll just, I've got to go on. I've got to go on. And uh, because if I turn back now, you know, I often think about the story and the prodigal son, when he left home and, and uh, he went away and did his own thing. And if the father, his father had lost heart and given up and shut shop and moved, where would the prodigal son come home to? We had to stay the course. Because he always knew where mom and dad was. If he ever was in trouble, he could call the same number, the same place. We're here for you. And you've got to stay the course. You cannot deviate from the course. Because you, you know, if you fail not, if you faint not, Galatians says, you'll reap the benefit. You know? And you know the prodigal son story. Robert and I were talking um, just about this on the way to church today. When you think about the story of the prodigal son, the father in that picture is, is God. So there's no more perfect father than God. But what happened, even in a perfect fathered home, a child still made a decision to go their own way. And that's one of the things we've got to realize. Obviously, we're not God. Obviously, we're not perfect in our homes. But no matter what we do, children still have the ability to make the decisions for themselves. And so it doesn't make you a a bad parent just because maybe your children are making bad decisions. It just means they're making those choices for themselves. But the most important thing, as Robert said, is you've got to make sure that you train them that when they come to their senses, they'll realize where the answer is. And the answer is not still out there. The answer is, I want to go home. And the answer is home. And that was a big step for the father that day. And there's a lot of thought with that, that the father ran to meet him and clothed him because he, if he would have walked through that town in the shame, he would have been kicked out. But when the father clothed him, he clothed all his shame and humility and all of his past and he brought him back into his house. And, and, and that's what we want to do with our children and just different. But it's, it's a challenge. I mean, yeah. how many days were you out looking, Robert, and not seeing? Yeah. I mean, what's, what's going through? How, how's your relationship with God, your faith yeah. during those days? Well, I mean, where else can you turn to? That's what the disciples said to Jesus. Where else can we turn to? Because you've got the words of life. And I mean, I'd come to that. I'd be struggling. And yet I was left without a choice. The Bible says, the love of Christ constrains me. In other words, you're left without a choice. And I mean, I just, what else could I do if I, if, I, if I had to keep it together? I had to keep it together for my wife and the rest of my family. Now, remember, I had another son who was dabbling in drugs as well, but not as bad as David. So I, I, I was praying for him as well. So you just have to be, you've got to be determined. You know, there's some things, I'm a very easygoing person, but there are some things I'm very determined on. And one is serving the Lord. The Lord was good to me. He'd been good to me before I had kids. He'd been blessed me with four kids, and he's still blessing me. The one kid's in trouble. He's still, it doesn't, God doesn't change. Amen. I would say to my boys, I said, I never brought you up to do that. And they all said the same thing, the two of them. Well, but you never, no, you're a great dad. We made stupid decisions. 
So don't feel guilty. I'm telling you, parents, now listen. Don't let the kids put guilt on you because you do the best you can. Because you understand, God knew this before David was born. God's the Alpha and Omega. He's already been in our future. And he saw that somehow, somehow this would happen and somehow good would come out of it. And I'm telling you now, David is a, le- a leader. He's a born leader. He's not there yet, but he's a born leader. And I know somehow God's going to use him. In fact, God used him when he was, when he was young. Kitty, eh, one of the one of the families, one of the most prominent families in our church came because of David. And uh, he, he got their kids to come to church. And then he got them to come to church. And uh, they've never left 25 years ago, one of, the, one of the prominent families in the church. So, you know. We've said this so many times, it seems to be a reoccurring thought um, throughout this church that we're, we're all about the result. We want our kids off drugs. We want our families. We, we want the situations of our life changed. Of course we do. We would be crazy if we didn't. And so we're waiting for that result. And many times we lose sight of the process to get to the result. And so we become so result-driven, we become tunnel-minded with that. So when we don't see God move in the way we should, we can get very discouraged. We can get Talk about just, again, avoiding that discouragement when the process is not easy, but God's more interested in the fact of how we arrive than just arriving. Because if we arrive wrong... We're not going to be ready for that. So just talk again about the process. Yeah. I know you've talked about this, but I know your situation was a son on drugs. Yeah. Your situation was a son in jail and, and deported. But every one of us has a David situation. Yes. Every one of us has different yeah. situations that may be different in that, but yet there's a need, there's a problem. A child is away from God. They're not living or there's struggles. So just talk a little bit more, if you would, about the process, Rob. And the truth is, there's not one family that's not dysfunctional. We're all dysfunctional. Maybe the Waltons. But that was a fictional family on TV, you know. So we have understand that because the devil will come at you saying you failed. You know, you're supposed to be perfect. None of, we're not perfect. We're forgiven. And, uh, you know, and, and also we, we grow through, the Bible says he learned through the things he suffered. You know, I would have very little empathy for people with kids on drugs if I hadn't gone through it myself. And I realized that God, you know, uh, allowed me to go through the ringer and to go through the pressure and to go through the pain. But, you know, through that pain comes your story that you never give up, you know. And through that pain, your kids, even the kids you're praying for. David watched me how I reacted when he was deported and when he was sent home and when he was in jail. He, he watched us never deviating, never leaving the mark. And the Bible says when you're purified in the fire, and you are, you are, we're purified in the fire. And fire is uncomfortable. But it's, it, it takes all the scum to the top. And so God could purify us. At the end of the day, we've made the mark, we've made the grade. And it's not by works, it's by trusting God. You know, because I thought, well, what can you do? I mean, the, the guy was, however old he was, at now at 19, 20, and, or 25, I mean, he's not, he's not a kid, he's a, he's a, a man. And I mean, you, you think about some of your children, it's something they're growing up now, and you're thinking, what, I, what can I do? I, I'll tell you, you can do, you can pray. Because prayer changes things. But you have the struggle. Understand, we, we knew that. You know what? I remember the old song Andre Crouch wrote, If I never had a problem, I'd never know that he could solve them. Wow. And I, I, that came through me all the time when I was going through this. If I never had a problem, 
I'd never know that he could solve them. I'd never know what faith in his word could do. And, I mean, the truth is, that's what happened. I just, whoop, I just threw myself on God. I said, God, well, I, I'm, I don't know what to do. But I know you know what to do. But I knew what, what, the, I knew what the Bible said, to put trust in God with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, you know. And I just put David in God's hands and, and just kept on, kept on the course. Not without struggles. You know, it just, you know what they say, no pain, no gain. And even Jesus went through horrible pain so you and I could sit here today. And I would, I would think of that. I said, well, if you want to be like Jesus, <laughs> he went through the pain. And, you know, but every family struggles. Different things, different strokes. But every family struggles with one thing or another. But God is bigger than all our problems. God is bigger than all anxieties. God is bigger than all our fears. God is bigger than all our perplexities. God is big. And listen, God is loving God is loving. God knows that those kids are going to come around sooner or later. That's why the Bible says when they are old, they'll not depart from it. The Bible is smart enough to know, not to let you know what was in between, because we would have filled the course. But unless you know the end product, they will not depart from it. You know, here's, here's another thought for you, just a slightly different direction. You're out serving God. You're on the front row. You're leading you're trying to do everything you can to be Christ-like. What about to the parents and the people who are not living that kind of life? And as a result, their, their kids have, have seen the struggles and the, and, and the other side, the dark side, if you'd like to say that. How would you speak to someone today who's sitting here that's blaming themselves that their kids are what they are today because they weren't what they needed to be? Well, the first thing I would say is shame off you. Shame off you. God never works in shame. God works in love. And God knows your past. He's forgiven your past. Because I know what some of you are thinking. Well, I wasn't a Christian then, and I was living with God then. I know. God knows that. But you're a Christian now. You live for him now. And God's going to make a way. He's going to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. You know? So what the devil meant for evil... God will meant it for good. He'll take your test and make it a testimony. And that's, what I, that's why I used to tell people, you know, just don't feel guilt. Because we went through that, oh, the guilt, coulda, shoulda, woulda. But the truth is, God knew that. And I just came to the point, I can't feel guilty. I did everything I could. We, we brought up a good family and a good home. And we, never, we weren't poor. We were brought up with plenty to eat, with a nice home. We had a nice church with nice friends. But you, people make decisions, stupid decisions. And, you know, they'll live with the consequences, but we can pray them through so that out of the, out of the mess will come a testimony of the goodness of the Lord, you know? And for us as well, you know? Because, you know, the, the, here's, a, here's the thing. You know how many people I've been able to help just telling them this story in a private maybe? when they're just struggling because they don't know what to do. But God sent me along the path to tell them, I've been there. Because, you know, pastors, we don't, we don't live with our lives on our sleeve. We, we're here to encourage people. We come in. I used to come into church with a heavy heart. The, wor- the last thing that was on my mind was worship. Come on, talk. What was on my mind was jail and David, you know. But I would say, but I would just get, I said, right, I will bless the Lord at all times. The good times, the bad times. The up times, the down times. Why? Because we're worshiping God. He's always good. 
is always worthy to be praised. And I just felt when I started worshiping God, I was putting another nail in the devil's coffin. Because he, what he thought he would do, he thought wrong. You know? And that's so important, I think, to remember that because every one of us, I don't care how well we've tried to live and what we've done, there's every one of us still has the moments where we look back and say, I could have done this better. I should have done that better. And we've got to free ourselves from that and realize there's no better beginning than today. There's no better beginning than today. We, we can't go back and write our past, but we have the opportunity to write our future. And God is the one that is God of our past and God of our future. And we've just got to keep our eyes fixed on him. And there's no better beginning than today. If you haven't had your kids in church, begin today. And next week and the week after. Robert and I were talking about this. Next year and the year after, year after, and however long, I can tell you 52 dates that I already have on my calendar. That's every Sunday I'll be in church. It's not like, oh, what am I doing Sunday? I know what I'm doing Sunday. And today you can begin that for your family because maybe your kids are not in church. Maybe your husband, your family, they're not in church. Well, guess what? Lead them to church. Why, why, why should they see the need to come if you don't come? I've had people all the time say, man, pastor, help me get my husband to church. I said, well, man, how often do you come? Well, just every three, four weeks. Well, if it's not a priority to you that is saved... Why is it going to be a priority to him who's not saved? Lead them in. Be the example. Just talk a little bit about that. Live in the example, Rob. Yes. People don't read their Bibles. They read you. And what is the gospel according to you? And that was the one thing. I'm like Philip. We were brought up in church. I mean, we've never known anything. And on Sunday, the only Sunday I'm not in church is on, if I'm on vacation. And this may shock you. I will not go to church on my vacation. I'm off on vacation, and that's what I'm going to be. But other than that, it's the flesh. But other than that, we, we've always gone to church. When we were little kids, we just, we knew, we never asked mom and pop, you know, are we, can I leave, can I not go to church today? Because you've got the five-fold ministry yeah. and, uh, in the back of your head. So, we, all, we just knew when Sunday came, we were in church. And that's just how we were. That's how we have been. And the truth is, you've got to be an example. Because they're not reading the Bible. They're reading you. And if you deviate, they think, oh, maybe it doesn't work then. But, I mean, chances are, if you don't come, they won't come. I'll take what Daddy takes. You've heard that story with a little boy. He's up with his Daddy one night. His father takes a beer, and the, and the waiter said to him, what you, I'll take what Daddy takes. And that's what they see. They'll see you. T- whatever you do, kids emul- emulate you. Because the kids love the authority of their parents, even though they don't always say it. So the truth is, we have got to be an example. An example to let them know there is, there is a life. There is a way. There is a great way. And there is a way that will succeed in the end. God's word will never fail. God's word will never fail. He will have the last word. He will have the last laugh. So might as well just slip into his slipstream and do what God's called you to do. Believe God for your kids. Never mind what you see. I was driving down the highway one time, and uh, I felt the Holy Spirit said to me, it's not what you see, it's what you sow. Yeah. So you can see nothing. You can see nothing but them doing drugs. But what you sow is, Lord, I believe. Yeah. And, 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 and 
you know, and it's another word, the yet, the yet of faith. I think I've shared this before. I was talking to a woman one time, and she said, you know, my husband's not saved yet. And she, you know, my husband's not saved. And so the way she said it, it was like she didn't expect him to get saved. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit said to me, he's not saved yet. So I told this lady, I said, that, your husband's not saved yet. And that's about six or seven years ago. And I've, ever since then, I've told people they're not saved yet. Your kids are not in church yet. But that's yet a faith. Yet will I rejoice. Are you with me? The yet of faith. Not the yeti of faith, but the yet of faith. Yet will I rejoice. If there be no food in this, no cattle in the stall, there be no food. Yet. You know? And uh, I have a photograph of David. I don't know if it's time to put it up. But there's a, I think I have a photograph of David and, he's, and my, my granddaughter, Bella, who I talk to every second day on Facebook. Is it? Did we get it? While they're getting yeah. that, Robert, let me, we just need to bring this to a close today. Oh, there they are. Looks like his mother, not his dad. <laughs> David, good-looking kid. Just, just quickly, just to, just to sum this up, we're about giving hope today. The whole reason for this weekend, bringing you in, is we, we want to give families hope. We want to be a family church. We want to believe for families to have hope. Just speak hope to people right now who are going through David's and going through situations. Just just speak to them just for a, a few seconds, just as we close this out, just how to keep that hope and keep trusting God. Yes. The Bible says we should ought to pray and never give up. Because it's not what you see, it's what God's word says. And God has promised you household salvation. You and your house. Sit with me you and your house and I know the struggles I know the, the, the tears I mean David is not just, is not going to church he's, he's saved but he's not going to church I'm still praying for him because I want to see him in church believe in God but he's I mean he's got a wonderful wife a lovely girl baby daughter they're doing great but I just want to see him plugged into church he goes to church three Easter Christmas whatever but I want to see him committed like his father and uh, so some of your kids are out there too. Some of you, it's your moms and dads that are not saved. We'll never give up. Never, never, never. Hope springs eternal. When people say they'll never get saved, they will never have, you know, if you say that yourself, they'll never get saved. Well, with that attitude, they never will get saved. But you're going to say, as for me in my house. Seed in faith. See it, you know, when we used to sing the song Amazing Grace, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining at the sun. Who's the we? It's our families. It's our children. It's our mothers. It's our fathers. It's our uncles. When we've been there, with no less this to sing these prayers. Because God never changes. God loves your wayward kids just as much as you. He loves them even more. He loves that wayward father. He loves that husband that's not saved yet. He loves that he loves that wife that's not saved yet. Keep believing. Keep believing. And listen, I'm praying for you. I'm, if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. You know, I think it's so important for you to hear this today, and that is. Here's a pastor, a leader that's going through and, and Uncle Robert's sharing his story. There's, there's challenges that Kelly and I are facing in our family and 
some wounds are kind of fresh that you can't share, but there's a testimony that God's working that one day I'm going to sit on the other side. But what I'm saying is this, and this is not to float our boats in any way. We all have struggles. You don't know how hard it is sometimes to get up and preach when your heart's broken. But the difference is you've got to have hope. So even though your heart is broken, you know that God's got it under control. And you've got to surrender and give it to God. And, and that's what I want us to do right now. Could we just all bow our heads all over this place today? In a few moments, I'm going to ask Uncle Robbie as we closed out the nine o'clock service today. And we're going to invite you to the forward to the front in a few minutes everyone who's got unsaved loved ones and we're going to believe together and pray but before we do that I know there's Davids I know there's Samanthas and Susies and Johnnies and Billies I know that's your kids I know it's your grandkids I know it's your spouse that you believe in God for Come on, if you've got a David situation that you need hope to rise in, just lift your hand all over this place. You've got someone. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. So what are you going to do? You can put your hands down. What are you going to do? I pray today that you're going to leave with such hope. I pray today that you're going to leave with such faith saying if they can push through, if they can keep standing up and delivering every day, if they can keep strong and keep leading, you know what? I'm going to be strong because, listen, we're not stronger in you physically. We just lean into God. Because when Paul was struggling with something in his life, a fall in the flesh, it could have been a child on drugs. We don't know what it was. The Bible doesn't tell us what the struggle was, but it gives us the answer. No matter the struggle, here's the answer. My grace is sufficient. That no matter what you go through, I'm your strength, not you. And I believe sometimes circumstances and situations of life uh, are brought towards us for us to realize and bring us to our knees and for us to say, God, we can't do this, but for us to realize that God can. And God told Paul, he said, when you're at your weakest, that doesn't minimize my strength. You don't have to be strong, so I'll be strong. God says at your weakest moment, I'm still strong. And that's what you've got to see today. You've got to believe right now that you are still strong through God. Just keep your head bowed. And I just want to ask for another group that would lift up their hands today. And that's you that's maybe never given your life to Christ. Maybe you are that David today. Maybe you are that person that's been running from God. And you know today that you're tired of running. And you want to surrender and you want to give your life and you just want God to take complete control of your life. If that's you, I want you to put up your hand. Is that you? Come on, where's some Davids? Thank you, sweetheart. Is there anyone else? I'm, I'm that David. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you, ma'am. Come on, that's three hands. We had four in the first service. Thank God. Heaven is rejoicing. Heaven is rejoicing. Is there anyone else that we could pray with you? Just pray with you. Come on, we're going to all stand together today. And we're going to ask God's blessing right now. And I know time has got away from us, but we're in overtime. Last night there was a game with Golden State and Houston.
went into overtime. No one went home. Everyone stayed. Come on, don't go home. We're going to just linger for a few moments. But we're going to pray for you that lifted up your hand and just believe God. We've got a package that we'd love for you to have too. So at the end of the service, if you would come to the front and if you need a Bible, we've got that for you. And if you made a decision, there's actually a card in the chair in front of you. You can fill that out too. But we want to pray for you right now. Would you join with us and pray this prayer? Repeat it with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for hearing my cry and for saving me today. I'm the prodigal child, but I'm coming home. And I thank you, God, that your arms are open, that you're welcoming me home. And dear Jesus, right now, I surrender my whole life to you. And I ask right now that you would come in, that you would have all of me. And from this day forward and forevermore, I'll live for you. I'll serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.